This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Utah discussing a self-professed prophet who started a cult with his brother called the School of Prophets. Then we'll talk about a teenager who left for school and was never seen again. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the Beehive State. Faith is a double-edged sword. It can inspire people to do great deeds, but can drive some to commit unspeakable crimes. It can cause conflict, or it can abate it. There is also a fine line between a believer and a zealot, in church and a cult. Religious Seal condemns the violation of a religious norm that is taken to be of absolute validity and general applicability. It motivates an action aiming at vengeance and retaliation, and it involves intense and hot feelings of hostility toward its object. Today, I'm going to tell you about a case of a violent faith of a self-proclaimed prophet and his dutiful brother. It consists of family faith, revenge, murder, and expresses a fine line between the divine and the despicable. So there's a new show on Hulu called Under the Banner of Heaven. It has Andrew Garfield in it, the newer, well, one of the newer Spider-Men. I haven't seen it. Haven't either. So the case I'm going to tell you about today is actually the one that inspired the series. It was actually made into a book first of the same name and was published in 2003. I haven't watched the show, but we'll say, according to articles I read about it, they didn't hire any practicing Mormons to write or consult on the show. And the victim's sister in this story has suggested in an interview that her story was exploited. Critics have praised the series, but a lot of the Mormon community felt like, from what I've read, it was attacking Mormonism as a whole. Again, I haven't watched it. I'm not Mormon. I don't have a personal take on this, but I thought I would share that first. I think anyone of any religion has a capability of being good or bad. And same goes for the non-religious. Don't ask me about Scientology or... <laughs> anyway, no. So this case begins with two brothers named Ron and Dan Lafferty, who were born into the Mormon faith in the 1940s in Payson, Utah. They had four brothers and two sisters. So a big family. Their mother, Claudine, was submissive, while their father, Warren, was violent. He was abusive to Claudine, and I'm going to glaze over this because you know I hate animal stuff. He once beat the family dog to death in front of all of the kids. Oh, my God. So this guy's not, he's an asshole. He's Let's an just asshole. say it. Warren Lafferty was extreme, and he did not trust conventional medicine. One time, his daughter was in a lot of intense pain. And I'm going to assume it was an appendicitis, which causes severe abdominal pain. Well, he refused to take her to the hospital until her appendix bursted. Yeah. Oh, And you can God. die. Yeah, you can. From that. Yeah, you can. Just uh, like anything but going to the hospital. Mm -mm. Another time, one of his sons accidentally shot themselves in the stomach with an arrow but he wouldn't take them to the hospital until the next day because he had broken the Sabbath. Like, that's what you get for breaking the Sabbath. Lacey, it's too hot for stories like these. Oh, I know. So even though Warren seems like a terrible human being, his son Dan considered him a good role model. 
who centered their lives around family and faith, I know. He said that his parents loved and cared for each other, which is so warped. He would Mm-mm. beat his wife in front of his kids. Okay. While growing up, Dan and his oldest brother, Ron, became super close. They also had short tempers like their dad, and they had a lot of issues with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Oh, boy. Which I'm just going to abbreviate it to LDS from now on, or Mormons, you know. So you may already know this, but the LDS Church publicly renounced the practice of polygamy in 1890. So mainstream Mormons condemn it. The ones that you hear about practicing polygamy are actually FLDS fundamentalists or offshoots. That's a whole other podcast, like the Warren Jeffs of the world. Those yeah. aren't, they're not mainstream gotcha. Mormons, quote unquote. Well, the Lafferty's were LDS and Dan became to believe that the mainstream Mormon church made a mistake by abandoning polygamy. Of course, a man would think that. Ugh. Ron ended up agreeing with Dan, which led his wife to leave him and take their six children to Florida. Good for her. I'm glad they got far away from him. So the Mormon church was not down with this at all. So by the 1980s, Ron and Dan were excommunicated from the LDS church. So the brothers joined a polygamous cult called the School of Prophets. They grew their hair long and started to see themselves as the church's real leaders. Ron also began to claim that he had personally communicated with God. Oh, shit. Typical cult leader stuff. Yeah. In March of 1984, Ron received, allegedly, divine instruction from God. He said that God wanted him to murder the people he felt had wronged him. His sister-in-law, Brenda, who had helped his wife leave. Chloe Lowe, who supported his wife. And Richard Stowe, the man who had presided over his excommunication. He and Dan called this the removal revelation. I know. It's dark. Mm -mm. According to Dan, he told his brother, All I can say is, make sure it's from God. You don't want to act on commandments that are not from God, but at the same time, you don't want to offend God by refusing to do his work. I hate when people, and we see it every freaking day, use religion mm-hmm. or God I know. to do shitty things. It's the fucking cop out. Just, you're a bad person. I, exactly. You're, you're responsible for your own actions. Exactly. These, these guys just, ugh. So they ended up going forward with the removal revelation. And they decided to start with their 24-year-old sister-in-law, Brenda Lafferty. 24? Even worse. And her 15-month-old daughter, Erica. Mm-mm. How these two men believe God wanted them to do this? To kill a baby? But it's their brother's wife and baby as well, but they didn't receive anything that God wanted them to kill him. Why kill the child? You know, like the baby's totally... Brenda's innocent too, obviously. But I mean, like, what does the baby have to do with anything? So yeah, Brenda was their 24-year-old sister-in-law, and she was married to their youngest brother, Alan. They never liked her because she never disclosed the fact that she completely disagreed with their lifestyles. And of course, she did not think Ron was a prophet. And I do want to share a little bit about Brenda. Her sister, Sharon, said that her... Former beauty queen sister would never leave the house without her hair done up in spectacular curls. She was tall, athletic, and stunning. She always wore high heels to school. She was a woman before her time. Her personality was loud and fun. She would curse, laugh loudly, 
and would never hesitate to speak her mind. She could also burp the entire alphabet, <laughs> which is so something a sister would say, right? Like, let me tell you yeah. about, I'll tell you about Brenda. She's beautiful and she could burp. <laughs> On July 24th, 1984, they drove to Brenda and Alan's home in American Fork. This part is graphic. I'm leaving out some details because it was too much for me. So skip ahead like 30 seconds if you think it might be too much for you. They forced their way into the home and strangled Brenda with a vacuum cord and slit her throat. And they also murdered 15-month-old Erica. Dan later said, I held Brenda's hair and did it pretty much the way they did it in the scriptures. Then I walked into Erica's room. I talked to her for a minute. I said, I'm not sure why I'm supposed to do this, but I guess God wants you home. Oh, my God. Mm-mm. And this was Dan, the brother of Ron. That's, his, that's her niece. It's their niece, their brother's child. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I don't know why I'm supposed to do this, but I guess God, like what? I know. Like I said, it's horrible. Two hitchhikers were driving the getaway car, and they planned on killing Chloe Lowe too, who supported Ron's ex. They went to her home only to find that she wasn't there, so they gave up on that plan. And then after they missed a turnoff for Richard Stowe's house. They just kept driving on to Nevada. So their plans fell through for killing other people. But you couldn't have walked away from that 15-month-old. Dan told Deseret News, I would have killed them the same way. But once the next step didn't happen, I knew it wasn't meant to be. There just wasn't much enthusiasm for it. When Alan Lafferty found his wife and daughter dead, he immediately knew his brothers were responsible. Ron and Dan were arrested by FBI agents in Reno, Nevada on August 17, 1984, while they were in line for a buffet at Circus Circus. Ew. They just, they brutally murder a woman and her baby no and drive worries. up to a yeah. casino and eat a... Ron and Dan were charged with two counts of criminal homicide, two counts of aggravated burglary, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder. They were supposed to stand trial together, but Ron attempted suicide in prison delaying his trial. So his suicide attempt resulted in severe injury and mental damage. I think I read an article that said he wasn't breathing for like 14 to 15 minutes. Damn. So he wasn't receiving any oxygen to the brain. So Ron was held at the Utah State Hospital for several months after this. In the meantime, Dan Lafferty represented himself during his trial. We know from Dead Bundy, you never, it's mm-hmm. never good to represent yourself. He had access to standby counsel, but, you know, he seems like a narcissist to me. The jury trial resulted in a guilty verdict, and he was sentenced to two life sentences to be served concurrently without the possibility of parole. Ron Lafferty was found competent to stand trial by doctors at the Utah State Hospital. He was tried in 1985, convicted, and sentenced to death. Ron elected to be executed by firing squad, but... He died in prison of natural causes on November 11th, 2019. They still have a firing squad? Yeah, you can choose to still die Just that way. be shot? Mm-hmm. You can choose that still. In Nevada? In Utah? In most states, I think. In Arkansas? I think you can. I don't know about Arkansas, but... That's insane. Mm-hmm. So... Why would people not choose that over the electric chair? I don't know. It all sounds terrifying to me. Shoot me. Don't strap me down. Yeah, I wouldn't want that either. Mm -mm. 
So he spent 34 years on death row. As of today, Dan Lafferty remains in the Utah State Prison serving his life sentence. So Ron never gave interviews before his death, but Dan gave several. And a lot of the book, Under the Banner of Heaven, is based on a lot of the interviews he gave him, the author. And he has publicly maintained a blasé attitude toward the murders. At one of his brother's appeals in 1996, Dan said, I'm not ashamed about what happened. It was just a matter of business. And to Desert News, he explained, It's never haunted me. It's never bothered me. I don't blame anyone for not understanding it. But if you had done it, it wouldn't haunt you either. It was a strange phenomenon. I cannot even believe that. That's the weirdest. To just think, to not have any remorse for killing a baby. He was the one that was at his hands. You talked to... After Ron's death, Robin's sister, Sharon Wright Weeks, told the Daily Herald that her family felt Ron's death in prison meant they hadn't gotten justice. And she called for the death penalty to be overturned in Utah in favor of a sentence of life imprisonment without parole. She said, quote, Finding out the death penalty isn't real, I would like to see the state provide justice. The death penalty is a lie. It's important for families but impossible to get justice. It's extremely disappointing and angering knowing our state can't provide what they pronounced. We will never have an execution in the state of Utah. And I have looked it up and they haven't had one in over 10 years. Sharon Wright Weeks has also been outspoken in her criticism of this series under the banner of heaven. She felt like the series spun the story to suggest that it was religion in the Mormon church that made the brothers evil. And then it washes away who Brenda really was and what really happened. She said she was particularly disappointed to see Brenda's temple wedding depicted in a creepy light. She said it was a personal, beautiful experience that she absolutely cherished. She loved every bit of it. She didn't think it was weird. She didn't think it was creepy. She was also frustrated that Brenda was depicted as a religious fanatic, when in reality she said she had a rather normal relationship with her faith. Sharon and Brenda were raised LDS by pragmatic parents in Idaho that did not take their religion to extremes. Sharon said that she's not active in the church anymore, but it still bothered her to see so many things exploited. I guess in the show, Brenda, the actress playing Brenda, says Heavenly Father constantly, and she's like, Brenda never said it like that. They make Mm -hmm. her seem kind of creepy and brainwashed. Yeah, and she's like, she didn't talk like that. They depicted her all wrong. I got a lot of my information from a great article by All That's Interesting, Utah versus Lafferty Court Documents, Deseret News, and some others that I will link in the show notes, including Sharon's interview about the show. I hate a cult. It's like they were definitely extremists. I haven't seen the show, but it's not like it's just Mormonism. Now I'm going to have to watch it. Yeah. It seems very interesting. It does. I mean, critics like it. I think it's we don't have ties to the Mormon church, so we probably won't be offended. I well, and it's also us. Yeah, we we don't care if you. Yeah, Yeah. but I could see why someone, especially her, she's like that wasn't my sister. Well, sometimes I get touchy about Catholicism. Yeah, yeah. When people are like, "Mm," you know, yeah, fair enough. I'm like, uh, that's not how it is. Yeah, people make jokes a lot at Mormons. I I have heard many of them. And I'm sure it gets old, but 
there have been people, though, that, I mean, in any religion, there are people that have suffered at the hands of whatever it is. Not discounting that. But anyone who watches it, just know Brenda was not as she was depicted. She she burped the alphabet. She cussed. She wore high heels. She was she was awesome. Tall, athletic, beautiful, cussing, burper. In high heels. Didn't say Heavenly Father a million times. Just keep it in mind. But anyway... I'm eager to hear your case this week. You want to take a break first? Yeah, I'm dying. It's we hard. need an AC break. Okay, so you said you have a short one for me? It's kind of short, but... I'm going to assume that's because it's unsolved? Is it's that- unsolved. Okay. So this is the disappearance of Mason Smith, and it's been covered by five bazillion podcasts. But see five bazillion and one. Okay, I'm about to okay, cover it fair too. enough. I have seen the episode. It's on Disappeared, right? Yes, this guy. I've seen it, and I can't Which remember is where I saw it. it. It all blurs together. But you know, I love a disappeared story. Oh yeah, because maybe I can crack the case. Mike can, Mike can. You may be able to help. Anyways, in August of 2015, Mason Smith was 17 years old. He had spent his childhood in Canada with his parents, Tracy and Dan, and his five older siblings. Mason had speech aphasia, which affected his ability to speak. Sometimes Mm. he would mix up his words or his sentences wouldn't make sense or the words just didn't make sense. He was super close with one of his big sisters because she was the only one who understood him when he was little. Mm. I know, that's sweet. sweet. So speech aphasia is usually caused by a traumatic brain injury or after having a stroke. I did not find out what caused his. Huh. He could have just been born with it. He was made fun of and bullied because kids are assholes. After lots and lots of speech therapy and time, he was able to communicate more clearly, but he was still picked on and bullied. Mm. Because let me reiterate, kids are assholes. Yeah. Because of all this, Mason was a quiet kid. He suffered from seasonal depression, which is why it was so great when his family decided to move to St. George, Utah, when Mason was 17. His five older siblings were out of the house, and Mason was almost out himself. But his parents were worried about him and thought a fresh start would be good for all of them. And the weather was much better there than Hmm. in Canada. Have you ever been to Canada? I've been to Vancouver, Listen, it might be a little cold, but I freaking loved Canada. Did you? I loved it. I've never been. If things get too dicey, if I need Sam's signature for birth control, I'm going to... Jesus I'm Christ. Gonna to Vancouver. Listen. I was just saying. I, I made a friend when I was in Vegas from Canada. I love and I'm a like, Canadian. Listen, I love a Canadian. I will marry you. <laughs> I, look, I've never we'll met a Canadian I didn't like. Yes, exactly. Exactly. So... But I get it's, that better yeah. weather. Yeah. Better weather. I get it. And his mother was Mormon. Oh. So well, this yeah. was obviously closer to the Mormon community. Oh, yeah. So at first, just Mason and mom moved, and then dad came down a few okay. months later. Wow. So started off being Mormon in Canada. Yeah. Huh. I don't know much about Canadian religions. I know they're the same, but I mean, like, what's. Right. Like, you know, Southern is mostly Baptist, Northern's a lot of Catholics. Right. Northeast is a yeah. lot of Catholics. Yeah. 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 So, Mason was an introvert. He wrote music, watched anime, and played video games. His parents didn't care as long as he made good grades, and he did. 
His mom wasn't thrilled about him watching all the anime because it kind of had some dark undertones, but oh he was 17, Listen. so, I mean, it's not like he was seven. No, come on now. So, Mason did have a 10 p.m. curfew for all electronics during the week. But Man. He was a good kid. He just kept to himself. They wanted him to be with his friends or, hell, yeah. even make some friends. I get that. Yeah. They, yeah, okay. His dad had pushed him to start driving. So he could be more independent and told him he'd take him out to practice. On August 31st, when Mason walked in from school, his dad was waiting. He told his dad he had a bad headache and went to his room. Did you learn to drive super early? Um, I feel like in the South, we do drive early. I don't know. I Well, I, like I was late for my age. I didn't get my permit and license until I was 16. So I didn't start to... Well, I was... I was 15 when I got my permit. Yeah. I took that driving test like five fucking no, times. are you serious? Not the driving part, the, the written part. Oh my gosh. I could not pass that bitch to save my life. Literally, by the time I finally passed, my little sister took oh it with me. Oh my gosh, that's And we, we tested the same day and passed the same day. But yes. I could not. I mean, I studied that little book they give oh. you. Panic would sit. I don't know. Driving, I, no worries. I remember my mom took me and my friend Julia, and we took our written test the same day. We both passed, and then afterwards we ate at Taco Bell. I don't know I why, mean, but I vividly have that memory. It was a good, it's anyway, a core memory. It is. But so, anyways, he told his dad he had a headache and went to his room. Uh-huh. And they just figured we'd do it another day. Yeah. His mom gets home and checks on him. He says he's fine. He just has a headache. So also every night before they went to bed, when they unplugged everything, because he had the curfew, she would take the cords with her so he couldn't sneak and turn it back on after everybody was asleep. But this night she forgot. And at some point, dad wakes up, goes to check on, you know, the house like dad's walk around. And he was on his computer. So dad told him, put this shit up. And he did. No back talking, no Mm -hmm. fighting. And dad takes the computer and his phone away for the night. The next morning, dad wakes up, goes to wake Mason up. He yells at his dad through the door, I'm up. So dad goes back to bed. Around 745, they heard the garage door open and close, which is about the time that he would leave to go to the bus stop. So dad leaves and heads to the gym a little bit later. Mom goes to work. Typical day. So Mason usually gets home about 3.15. At 3.30, he still hadn't returned from school. The school also emailed Mason's mom around this time to tell her that Mason was not at school at all that day. So she heads home, but they can't call him because they have his phone. Right. So they search his room and find nothing out of the ordinary. He didn't have many friends, but the ones that he did have, they all called or text and no one had seen him. So later that night, they called the police and reported him missing. The police believe mom and dad, but he was 17. So they assumed he had, what? Ran away. Ran away. Let's just. So infuriating. Let's just say, okay, maybe they did fucking run away. Yeah. And even if they did, they shouldn't uh, just freaking look for people. He had gotten in trouble the night before, so they were like, well, maybe he's still upset. And he had ran away in the past, uh, two years before when he was still in Canada, 
But he came home after a few hours because it's cold as fuck up there. And he's like, I'm not doing this. I'm not that mad. I'm going to go home. You can't run away in Canada. You can't run away when it's cold. So the cops are keeping a lookout for him that night, but Mm -hmm. no one sees him. The next day, his mom finds his wallet, money, ID, and school books in his room. Mm -hmm. This is even more alarming because now they know he has no money and no ID. So some people come forward and say they think they saw a kid matching his description at a gas station on the highway that ran from St. George to Las Vegas. Gosh. There was also a boy holding a sign headed to Las Vegas, but when the cops got there, he was gone. Someone else saw the someone else said they saw someone matching his description in Las Vegas. They obtained CCTV footage from the gas station, but it was not Mason. Searches were going on all over, but no one could find any sign. So this area of Utah is close to Red Cliffs National Conservation Area, which is like lots of large cliffs and it's very rocky. So the Red Rock Search and Rescue became involved and searched the areas near St. George and Las Vegas, but nothing was ever found. Like no sign of him. I just pulled it up on a map. So Las Vegas is just a two-hour drive. Could you imagine if we were just two hours from Vegas? Oh my god! Well, do you, it's well. Remember when you're in Vegas, there's so much city, but everywhere else it's desert. Well, so you could look you imagine around and there's, there's nothing. It's desert. Yeah. Police take his electronics and find nothing. His history had been completely erased. A week after he disappeared, his mother went through his wallet again and found a three-page note folded up inside. Oh boy. The contents have never been shared publicly, but it is known that he talked about harming himself in the note. But this wasn't new to his parents because he had attempted suicide before and spent 10 days in the hospital while they were still living in Alberta. Oh, my gosh. Some people think that this note was fake or made up, that there wasn't a note. Like his parents lied about it? Like his parents lied because they never made it public. Nobody ever saw it. And... If you fold up three pieces of paper and put it into a wallet, if you searched it, don't you think you'd see it? I don't know. I mean, that's that's a week later. Yeah. So the sightings continued to come in. One in particular stood out. Two girls were eating at a Panda Express about two hours away when they were approached by a guy who matched Mason's description, and he had a speech impediment. He was asking him... He was asking them for change so he could get a bus ticket. He was nice, and they said they gave him what little change they had. They reported it to authorities after one of their mothers said that sounded like that missing Mason Smith kid. Mm. And she showed him a picture of him, and the girls were like, that was the guy. So Tracy, Mason's mom, was contacted, and she was able to play a voicemail of Mason for the girls. And they both said, yeah, that's him. Police later ruled out that this was not him. Why? I, which is weird. How would they know? So at this point, the theories are that he ran away. He may have killed himself. And now suspicions have turned towards the parents. Mom was always visibly upset. Anytime anyone spoke with her, dad was a dad and non-emotional. Mom was a Mormon and active in the Mormon community. But dad was like, no, thanks. Oh, he wasn't? In, oh, He was not a member, but she was. That's interesting, though, that he was willing to move down to be 
He had a lot of work in, yeah, he had a lot of work in Salt Lake City, which is where he was when they went ahead and moved to St. George. He was in Salt Lake City for a couple months. Hmm. But their timeline didn't add up. Dad says he was in bed and went back to sleep when Mason left, but his key card was swiped at a gym like five minutes after that. So he says 745 he left. Has he said anything about the gym? No Mm. explanation has ever been given. None. Mm. It's also alleged that his parents never called detectives for updates about the case, and they did not participate in the searches for their son. Not a good look. I hope that's not true, but that's not. I feel like, but, but I'm also, I don't know. I feel like for me, I would be at the police station, like sleeping there. But then there may be some people that are like, well, I mean, they, they'll call us, you know. Or just. Or give us an update. They may have, have had so much faith that they're like, they're doing their job. Yeah. We don't have to. Right. People are different. I don't know. So investigators put a tracker on dad's truck for two months. Oh, gosh. And he finds it Oof. and was like, knock your socks off. I don't have anything to hide. They didn't find anything. Yeah. So there's also a group that supposedly helps Mormon children escape from their family and gives them a new identity. So some people think that maybe he really that. For just regular Mormons? Like LDS? Like people Not that like want the- to escape. Oh. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh. I didn't find anything that named the group specifically okay. that it was, but I did Google. Huh. And there actually are a lot. Like there's one called... Holding Out Hope, and another one called Faith After Mormonism. Oh, my gosh. But there's, like, there's several different websites huh, that no idea. that literally there's links that help you get out. I guess, and it is, I only know because Mormonism was in my case, too. I think it's 60-something percent of the state of Utah is Mormon. So it's... It's crazy. It's quite Mormon. It's like... It's like Alabama and Southern Baptist. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess. I don't it's know. It's like Jersey and Catholic. No, I'm just kidding. I have no it's earthly like Boston idea. and Catholics. I have no earthly idea. So to date, Mason Smith is still missing. Mm. Nothing, not a trace, zero, nada has ever been found. No explanation, Gosh, no body, no, no body, clothes, no bones. no bones, no nothing. I wonder if, do you happen to know if Canada was on his radar? Did he want to go back? He might have hitchhiked his way. But if his passport, I guess. He didn't have anything. Yeah. No idea. Yeah. No money. No phone. Nothing. So he's described as a Caucasian male, 6'4", 180 to 200 pounds when he was last seen. Blonde hair, blue eyes, and has a mild speech impediment. If you have any information, please contact the St. George Police Department at 435-627-4300. Even, All these years, nothing. It's like he just disappeared folks in, in Alberta, minute. if you see this. Right. I mean, he looks, I saw a picture of him. I hate to use the word normal, but he looks normal. He's, he's tall. I wouldn't look twice like at him. Normal. I'd be like, oh, he he's was a just, cute yeah. kid. Yeah. Just very clean cut. Who knows what he would look like now, but. Anyways, yeah, crazy. We did get an, a message, and unfortunately, it went to our other folder. So we covered. We wrote our notes for this before we read those messages, but someone messaged us a, a suggestion for a Utah case. Mm-hmm. And Ashley just reminded me about that today. 
It says, if you get to Utah, you should tell my story. My mom was murdered in 1970. Here's a quick overview. And it's a link to oxygen.com. They uh, covered it on one of their shows. The mother's name is Loretta Jones. So I'm going to read just a little little bit of this. Yeah, we wanted to just touch on it, even though we didn't have time to write notes on it. But So this was on um, the TV show on Oxygen called Exhumed. It airs on Sundays at 7. I'll have to watch that. Eight, whichever time zone you're in. Yeah. Anyways, it says, on July 30th, 1970, a four-year-old girl woke in her Price, Utah home and saw something that would shatter her life forever. And this is who emailed this us. This is who the emailed daughter. us, the oh, little girl. Oh, my gosh. Well, Can she's you? grown now. But. I cannot even Im- – well, yeah. I can't even imagine a four-year-old walking in on something like that. Mm-mm. She says, when I got up, I looked through the keyhole into the front room, and when I opened the door, there was blood everywhere. It was my mom's lifeless body. <sighs> it was terrifying. So she goes and finds a neighbor who calls the police, and the cops get there. Mm-hmm. Her mother, Loretta, was 23. And was dead. Jeez. There was blood. Yeah. There was blood all over the living room, but no sign of forced entry, indicating she likely knew her attacker. She had also been sexually assaulted. She had 17 stab wounds. So Sergeant David Brewer of the sheriff's office told the producers that there was a lot of rage. Yeah. I mean, 17 times to me tells me, you know, someone and you're mad at them. So, oddly enough, she barely had any defensive wounds. Huh. And when she was questioned, the the little girl, she said that she hadn't heard her mother screaming or anything. So. Makes me think if she maybe drank something with something in it. I don't know. Well, this detective says, I believe Loretta stayed quiet to protect her own child because she was afraid her daughter would run out and they would kill her too. That's you're right. Like if just, it's just a little four year old, if you're screaming, they're gonna just run out and she oh my maybe gosh. wanted her attacker to think she was alone. Yeah. And so they wouldn't find her. That's horrible. Ugh, awful. So the medical examiner confirmed that she was murdered with a small narrow knife and they also found semen, but DNA testing was still in its infancy in the seventies. Mm-hmm. So they weren't able to find a match. Right, right. They did have an important lead, though, because the same day she was killed, a man tried to abduct a 10-year-old little girl who lived nearby. Lori Fennell was outside playing when a strange man grabbed her and tried to take her, but she managed to scare him off. So that seemed a little too bizarre. Yeah, same neighborhood, same day, women, yeah, yeah. So another clue surfaced when they were talking to the to the little girl. Mm-hmm. She said that she heard a man in her house telling her mother he was going to kill her. And it sounded like her mom's friend, Tom. Oh, gosh. So they looked through her mother's diaries and did find the mention of a man named Tom Egley. Mm-hmm. She had dated him for about two months. So they track him down. He denied any involvement. He said he was out of town that day and said he was, like, eating a hamburger and window shopping. And a bar owner did confirm that she saw him later that night, and he had red spots all over his shirt. Uh, Well, that's not good, especially if you can't get the time down. Mm-hmm. Nope. The little girl that was attempted kidnapping, mm-hmm. 
identified Tom Egley out of a lineup as the man who tried to take her. They said, is this the guy? And I felt like I was going to throw up, she told the producers. So they were able to charge him for that crime. But even after searching his home and questioning him, he had said he had nothing to do with Loretta's murder. He served 90 days in prison for attempted kidnapping. That's it. That's Three months. too big of a coincidence. Yeah. The same guy that knows Loretta tried to get... Mm-hmm. And this guy looks scary. God. So the case went cold. The murder case did. In yeah. 2009, you know, this, this little girl is a grown-up now. Yeah, yeah. And she was able to get in touch with a police detective. After telling him about her mother's unsolved murder, he was intrigued. He knew it would be an uphill battle. All of the crime files had been lost. So all he had to go off was her daughter's memory of it. Oh, my goodness. And media coverage. After tracking down witnesses mentioned in the newspaper at the time, he was able to speak directly to Egley's girlfriend. She revealed some explosive information. The night of Loretta's killing, he came home very late and immediately took a bath with all his what? clothes on. Uh-uh. No, that's that's weird. The next day, he went to the laundromat, and when he returned, it was obvious he was missing several items of his clothes. He's too suspicious. So, Brewer tracked down Tom Egley to his current residence in Colorado, where he said one of his old girlfriends was murdered, but claimed he couldn't remember her name. If one of your former girlfriends or boyfriends is murdered, you're probably going to remember it. Okay, I remember every break. ex-boyfriend. Right. the Lord. <laughs> but for real. But like, especially if somebody got if murdered. one of them, you would be maybe too invested in, oh my well, God. Well, then, what? I mean, that's traumatic. Of course. So mm. he said he, he didn't remember which one, but he could remember exactly what he did oh, all those years ago, including no. eating a hamburger. You don't know her name, but you remember eating a burger? Right, right. But he said, you know... I know he's the murderer, but I have no physical evidence. So in July of 2016, he decided their only option was to exhume Loretta's body Mm. to see if there was any forensic evidence left. Like there was only a 1% chance. Yeah, it's a long time. Unfortunately, the body and coffin had suffered extreme water damage and there was nothing that detectives could recover from it. But they did publicize the exhumation and vaguely claim that they were excited about results just to shake him yeah, up. Yeah, maybe he'd freak out and confess. So this did lead to some crucial tips. Okay. The most shocking came from a woman named Linda who had lived with Jones's parents as a college student. She told police that Loretta had written her what? killer's name in blood at the crime scene. At first, they didn't believe her. But they re-examined the only crime scene photo. He could clearly make out a T and an O in the bloodstains. Oh my gosh. hmm Yep. Tom Egley's current neighbor, Lisa Carter, contacted them after hearing about the exhumation and made a pivotal offer. She said she would talk to Tom and wear a wire to try to get a confession. This is neighbor. How? Why? In Colorado, I would think he'd kill me if he oh, confessed would, to me. Yeah. God. So investigators were skeptical, but they were yeah. like, "Okay." So she spent weeks chatting with them, hinting the police had found something, you know, from the killer. It worked. 
He confessed Are you freaking kidding to me? stabbing Loretta to death, claiming they had consensual sex, yeah, got right. in a fight, and he snapped. Carter then convinced him to tell police what happened. 46 years after he murdered Loretta. Holy crap. He was arrested, took a plea deal, and had the rape charge dropped in exchange for pleading guilty to her murder. In October of 2016, he was found guilty of criminal homicide and sentenced to 10 years to life. Yeah. I cannot believe that all those years in the pictures, there was a T and an O written in blood and they didn't notice that. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And what are the odds that he's trying to abduct a little girl and he has a connection to her? Oh my, oh my God. I'm for sure going to have to watch this case. Oh no, I am too. What's the little girl? Well, she's not a little girl She's grown. Her name is Heidi. 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 Oh my God! Thank you so much. Thank for, you for bringing this to our attention. I had yeah, no idea I didn't, about this. I case. didn't either. I didn't either. I'm definitely going to watch Exhumed. It. I'll put a link up in our yeah, show notes it, for this episode too, so everyone. I'm I'm definitely going to watch it too. Super interesting. We're so sorry that that happened to oh your mother. Oh my gosh! I cannot. I can't. And to be a four year old baby. Oh no. But oh, thank you for for writing yes. that, oh sending that gosh. email to and, us. And your mother is so pretty. She has her. Oh, in the pictures? I pulled up yes. her picture. She's so pretty. I. She was so young. That's super young. Goodness. Mm-hmm. Yikes. I know. So we have gotten a lot of messages and stuff like that, which we love those. Even if they go to our other folder, we eventually find them. We'll find them. But first, we have a new patron, Amy W. from North Carolina. We're, I have pins and maps, too, from North Carolina. I don't know how many patrons. We're missing a big section of the uh, West. Yeah, the West is a Western. Western people. Well, we're, we're, not, we're certainly probably not winning over any Utahans. Oh, no. We is love, it a Utahan? I don't know. I want to visit Utah, mm-hmm. though, because it's beautiful. A lot of cool hiking. I've been to Salt Lake City. Oh, have you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was nice. So Amy lives somewhat close to the Outer Banks, I looked Ooh, nice. up her city. I'm like, where is this? And Lacey's a psycho. I'm sorry about that. No, y'all. I was just, I've lived in North Carolina and I, the city rang a bell. I'm not going to call it out, but I'm like, what? I, that sounds familiar to me. And it's, I miss the Outer Banks a lot. So thank you, Amy. We also got some emails this week and another kidney stone update. Thank you all for your <gasps> kidney stone suggestions. Uh, who knew that kidney stones would be such a pivotal part of Listen, week? okay. So Tammy D., Sent us a nice message, and she's also had a kidney stone. Worst thing ever. She said it was 1,000 times worse than childbirth. Hell yes. She said, keep drinking cranberry juice and water, and hopefully it passes soon. Good luck. What are you drinking now? It's sparkling water. You need cranberry water. I have some cranberry juice downstairs. No, you put that shit in your sangria. Sangria. I can't drink that. I'm drinking a sangria. You're drinking a sparkling ice. I have to take antibiotics. I have a plain Jane Welch's cranberry acai immunity juice. You should take one. Pump out Sharon. She don't come the fuck on. I'm getting real sick of her. Oh, my gosh. So Tammy's from North Dakota and said, if you want to put your livers to the test and dare take a trip to the great north, my aunt just happens to own one of those many bars in North Dakota. Shut North Dakota. Up. Remember they have the most bars? Yes. She said, it's in a little town with a population of less than 20 people. What's the got a girl ratio before I drive to South Dakota? 
North Dakota. North Dakota, too. Probably more dudes, if I just had to guess because of the oil stuff. But she said, my aunt and uncle turned one of their stores into a Garter Country Club or, quote, 10th hole because it's next to the nine-hole Frisbee golf course they built. This sounds fun. (laughs) She said, don't let the name fool you. It's not your typical country club, but far from it. It's always a blast up there. Oh, my God. Heck, yeah. I really want to go. Can we go? I mean, it's We're not flying Frontier, but. No, no. We don't support Frontier on this podcast. No. There are anti-ads. 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 No. But I'm like, that's fun. I mean, North Dakota is maybe wooing me a little bit. We should do this. Sounds like a fun trip to me. So Starla D also sent us a message and she said, what I've always been told was to drink as much pure cranberry juice as you possibly can and get this, she said, and beer is good for them too. Listen. Have you heard that? I have heard that from like five Why? people. Even my ER doctor was like, do you like beer? Are you freaking Drink kidding? a ton of beer because it's a diuretic. Yeah. She said it makes you pee so much. It helps flush them out. But I'm like, well, oh, isn't pee a diuretic? Beer. I hate beer. Oh yeah. That's not. And I'm on antibiotics that you can't drink with. You're not going to be drinking beer. <laughs> oh, and she said, good luck getting Sharon Stone to vacate the premises. <laughs> I love it. Isn't that hilarious? Sharon Stone. Oh, love it. Listener Kelsey also slid into our DMs and gave us some Nebraska case wrecks. And I'm going to write all them down. She gave us like three or four. Fantastic. I know. Sarah P. gave us an Iowa suggestion. And Ashley gave us a link to a site of the most notorious serial killers from every state. And Becky from the UK messaged us. She suggested that sometime we cover a case from Gloucester. Gloucester? Gloucester? Sure. And Becky, please write back and tell me how to pronounce that word. Break it down. Break it down for me. Gloucester? Gloucester? It's not getting any better. Listen, I'm I'm British, UK, Scottish, Irish, all those. Look, I'm white. Look at me. You, you, yeah. But I don't know how to pronounce that. So she said it's a serial killer, husband and wife, Fred and Rose West. It rang a bell to me, and you probably I remember this. have heard of these lunatics. Yeah, she's like, we know I know you don't cover a lot of you don't cover cases from other places. And I'm like, you know, we do every now and then sprinkle some in our Patreon episodes, Mm -hmm. but you never know when we might cover we might do a country crossover. Just keep the emails coming. We love it. We love it. Love you all. Any updates in your life? What you watching? Um let's see. Uh well evil. You fit, you're up to date on up to date on evil. I need to get that I, Paramount subscription. I um, still am obsessed with going to watch The Black Phone. I don't have any. I don't. I need a new show. Well. Because I'm all caught up on evil. I guess I need to catch up on From. Give so, me your passwords. <laughs> well, no. I'm like done. I got the epic seven-day subscription. Oh, shit. You you're done? The first three for free on Amazon Prime. Yes. So I and they bamboozled me because I got sucked in, and so I downloaded Epics last weekend and I finished it last night. And maybe to, I'll binge it. To my relief, I would have listen. I would have been real mad if it was canceled. It's been renewed for another season, so it for sure will have a second season. Okay, because it ends on a million questions. Okay, so it reminds me of Lost, where it's like there's always. Something weird, and there's a question, but it's not ever answered. You just have more questions, and but it's mixed with scary stuff. I love it. And I read an interview that, unlike Lost, it will provide answers. There actually is a story. Well, I mean, Lost had a story too, but like there is a. I never watched Lost. 
I can't get into, I couldn't get into it. Oh my God. I love like There's too much going I on. I freaking loved Lost. No. I was obsessive with Lost. My dad was. And after the finale, I was so angry with that finale. Well, when we go off the air, you're going to have to tell me what all the fuss is because I never watched one episode. Don't do it to yourself. Don't do it to yourself. Nope. Nope. I want to know or when we're done. Or skip the finale and pretend like it's just unfinished. The finale. Anyway. From, they've said From's not going to be like Lost in that they're going to answer questions and it's going to be scarier in the second season. Because there's some episodes where they show the monsters, some don't. Some's all a backstory. Also, there is a actual. It's kind of like a drama, psychological thriller drama show. She's going to keep talking and tell the whole damn thing. I'm not telling anything. No more. It's good though. I like it. I'm going to watch it. I like it. But anyway, that's all I have. That's all the tea. So we're going to be where next week? Alabama. 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 Do you have a case? Yet? I already do. I <gasps> already have the next four cases picked out. Weasel. No, I'm gonna tell me what they are so I don't pick the same Jesus, ones because you no know kidding. I want to. No kidding. Alabama. All right. Well, bye. Bye. <laughs>